Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Exodus chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. We'll have some ushers coming down the aisles with Bibles. If you need one, just slip a hand up. They'll get one in your hands, or you can scan the QR code. It'll take you right to where you need to be this morning. We encourage everybody to be in the Word with us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here uh, in person. Those joining us online, those will be in traditions uh, this morning. We're worshiping together. Well, today we are beginning a brand new sermon series called Names of God. And for the next few weeks, I want us, I so badly want us to take a closer look, not at many gods with many names, but at one God with many names. I was reminded this past week of the difference between personality and temperament. And and personality is what others see in us or what they experience from us. And temperament is more of who we are, the way that we were created to be. Temperament refers to behavioral style, the, the how of behavior. Personality describes what a person does. Simply to say your personality kind of evolves out of your temperament and out of the character within you. Your personality is shaped by the circumstances of life, so it's kind of molded and twisted. It's shaped by stress and by relationships and so on. And before you know it, your personality becomes the face of who you are and what people experience when they encounter you or engage you. It's what you're known for. So when people have conflict in relationships, whether that's at work or on a sports team or in marriage or in relationships, sometimes you will hear it said, or maybe you've said this, well, there was just a personality clash. The reason I'm, I'm telling you about temperament and the reason I'm telling you about personality is because in order to really know a person, you have to look beyond their personality and study their God-given temperament and their shaped character if you really, really want to know a person. And when we're unwilling or don't take the time to dig deeper into a person's life, is it fair to say then that we really don't know them? Because to really know someone, it takes time. And to really know someone, it takes sacrifice and it takes a desire to want to know them. And the journey to really know someone is often really messy but it's worth it. In the same way, getting to know God, really know God, beyond what he does or doesn't do, it takes time, it takes sacrifice, and it takes a great desire. Who he is never ever changes. We were just singing about that. Regardless of what we experience, he never changes. And another way to say it is the way we experience God cannot be all that we use to define God. Follow that line of thinking for a moment. There's great danger in that thinking. For some, God would be good. For others, God would be cruel. And for some, it would even seem that God has forgotten them or doesn't care about them at all. It may sound simple, but I fear that many people who don't take the time and who don't sacrifice and who lack the desire may decide in their minds who God is by looking through an ex 
experiential lens. And again, the way in which we experience God cannot tell the whole story of who God is. The truth of who God is should lead us to our experience of him. Not the other way around. The truth of who God is should lead us to our experience of him, not the other way around. But who here is not guilty of looking at God through the wrong lens? Most believers who are on a journey of maturing in Christ, and I hope that that is you, at some point or another have decided who God is based on their experience rather than the truth. And today, let's go beyond our experience and assumptions and let's dig into God's word and let's allow a God to tell us who he is. In the third chapter of Exodus, Moses was out tending the flock. Maybe you're familiar with the story. Suddenly, right in front of him, there was this bush that was on fire, but it, it intrigued him because it, it wasn't burning up. It got his attention, and Moses, and he went over to take a closer look to see what in the world is going on, and when he got close enough, God spoke out of that bush to Moses and said, Moses, Moses. And God said to Moses, I am aware of the misery of the Israelites and what they're experiencing. Moses was tracking with God right up until when he said to Moses, so now that I've told you that, I want you to go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses, he was all in into God's compassion for his people and his desire to rescue them. Maybe even got a little bit choked up, but when God said to Moses, I am sending you, my guess is Moses, his life probably just flashed right before his eyes. Can you imagine? You getting the picture yet of, of the dilemma, of Moses' dilemma? He loved the thought of God's plan, but he, he wanted no part of it. And then we pick it up now in verse 12. And at the first point, if you're falling on an outline, believe what he says. And verse 12 says this. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain right where he was at. Uh, see, Moses just had his first real encounter with God. He must have been just a little bit baffled and confused after having a conversation with the burning bush. But nonetheless, it's important to grasp what God is saying here because what he says is foundational, not only for Moses, but for you and for me. It's absolutely foundational. In other words, there are Many takeaways in this encounter between God and Moses that, that we can apply to our lives as we navigate this life. God tells Moses as clear as he can exactly what he wants him to do. Is it possible that, that God sensed Moses' fear? Is it possible that he sensed his worry and concern and, and maybe even just a, just a little bit of lack of courage? Because right after God had revealed his plan, he followed up with these comforting, reassuring words. I will be with 
It's a promise given by God to be a sustainer, to be a protector. It's different than God saying, I will be available for you if you need me. It's an emphatic promise of God's presence. I will always be with you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I, I want to apply this personally and I want to say he will never leave me. And, and to kind of allow that to sink in in your mind and your heart, I wondered if you would say that with me, just that statement, he will never leave me. Would you say that with me? He will never leave me. You know, so often um, the evil one sometimes can get the best of us and, and we have all these thoughts and all these lies kind of bouncing around in our head and we ruminate on them over and over and over again. But I wonder what would happen if we were to ruminate on the truth of who God is and the promises that he gives us in scripture when he says he will never leave me. What if we just thought about that over and over and over again and we would take that kind of a truth and we were to overlay it in our lives and everything that we experience. Man, I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to be reminded of that. There's a real condition found usually in a relationship between a parent and child. It's called separation anxiety. And there's no doubt as a child of God, all of us at one time or another have experienced separation anxiety in our relationship with God. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder if God will be with me. I wonder if God will show up. I wonder if God's going to leave me all alone. Does it create anxiety in you thinking about some of the things that you are facing, wondering whether God will be there? Will God meet me again? Will he show up? And then little by little, God shows up time and time and time again, and he's right there with you. And you begin to fully trust God in every situation and circumstance because he has never given you a reason to doubt his presence. He will never leave you. Never leave you. And the promise made by God when he says, I will be with you, is life-altering, friends. It gives us a sense of security. It gives us a sense of peace. It removes from us fear and worry. And if you're wrestling through something in life that, that has you all tangled up in a knot, maybe, maybe you're feeling out of control, maybe you're unstable, maybe you're fearful, maybe you're worried, then either you are not aware of that promise or you're suffering from separation anxiety. Because God is saying to you right here, right now, I will be with you. You can trust me. I will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever it is in your life that is making you feel potentially all alone, allow the truth of God's promise to ring in your ears for a while. 
he says, and I'll repeat this over and over, I will be with you. Allow your mind to go there for just a minute. Allow your heart to go there. Wrestle with this truth. You are not alone. God is right there with you. Is it something that he's asking you to do that seems really hard? Is it a trial that you're in the midst of? Is it a difficult situation? Is it a lonely path that you're walking? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it sickness? Maybe you've convinced yourself that no one else is experiencing what you are. Maybe it's the rut of addiction. Over and over and over, God says, I will be with you. Verse 13, what we learn from the encounter between God and Moses is stop doubting. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? What should I say to them? What was Moses' response to God? In a sense, what he was saying is, are you kidding me? Who, who am I that you wanna send me to go and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses didn't even pause to think. He went from zero to 60 and nothing flat. God had just finished talking and telling him and, and he's not asking him to do something alone. God says, I will be with you. And what did Moses do right after God said that? He said, he went straight to doubt. He began instantly to kind of push back on God. Right after God said, I will be with you, all of his worries and fears and doubt got the best of him. His mind was flooded with doubt. Instead of trusting and believing, he doubted. Even after God said, I'll be with you. Whether we worry, whether we fear, or we doubt, guess who is at the center of all three of those things? Self. We turn inwardly and become blinded by the truth of who God is and what his word teaches us. I will stay right here in my life on the outside of my mess. I will stay right here uh, eating comfy food, dressed in comfy pajamas, because this is where it's comfortable. Moses was not clinging to the words of God. He was essentially wondering how this is going to affect me, that's what he was wondering. How is it gonna affect me? You ever do that? Even after God says to you, I'll be with you, I'll be with you, you still get your mind off of yourself and your situation. Of course, we all do that at times. But not only was Moses doubting God, he was also doubting God's promises. Have you ever done that? God says he will do something and you spend all of your time questioning him. Maybe not in conversation because I don't often feel, find myself in conversation with God saying, I don't know about that God or I read scripture and I'm like, I don't know if that's true. It's not in conversation necessary, but it's in my actions. God promises to change us. 
And we question his ability, so we just stay the same. God promises to free us, and we question his power to do so, so we remain trapped. God promises to use us, but for some reason we don't believe him, so we remain ineffective. God promises joy, but we question his methodology, so we say we'll figure out how to be happy all on our own. He promises contentment, but we insist on finding it ourselves. He promises to transform our mind, but we insist on believing lies. After all the excuses and negotiations, Moses made one last attempt by asking, so, Let's just say I go, and when I get there, and I say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and then they ask me, what is the name of the God who sent you? What should I tell them? It was interesting, yesterday, um, Lori had a class online all day yesterday, and she was at home, and, and football was getting ready to start, and it was about probably 10.45 in the morning, and there's a knock on our door. I don't know about you, but when you get a knock on your door, do you go into panic mode? Like, who in the world's knocking on my door, right? Nobody does that anymore. So you're trying to scramble and just to get presentable to go to the front door, and, and I go to the front door, and there's two people at my front door, very well-dressed, and uh, they start in asking about, do you agree that the world's in a mess? And yes, and um, I assumed it was political, and then do you, do you know anybody who could fix all of this. Um, and I just thought, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm gonna be bolder, Jesus. I said, Jesus, Jesus could fix all this. Oh, funny you should say that. And then with the iPad, they started to tell me about Jesus and, and I said, well, I'm actually the, the pastor, senior pastor at Bethel Church and, oh, that's okay. And then they kept going and, and then um, I said, so what organization are you a part of? And they said, Jehovah Witnesses. And I said, okay. Well, thank you for stopping by. And, and I was kind enough to, to take their pamphlet. See the, see, the difference is that I believe Jesus is the savior of the world, that he died on the cross for our sins and that he's the only way to the Father. They believe that Jesus is a good prophet. He's a good man. What is the name of the God who sent you? What should I tell them? Verse 14, live in the truth. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. His answer to Moses was tell them, I am who I am has sent you. What exactly was he saying about himself? He's saying, I am faithful, I am unchanging, I'm powerful, I'm dependable. Exactly what the people needed to hear in order to trust. Exactly what Moses needed to hear in order to trust. Exactly what we need to hear in order to trust. The letters I am who I am spelled out in Hebrew say Yahweh or, or Jehovah, meaning the self-existing one. The very name I will be remembered from one generation to the next. Don't ever forget me as the great I am. Have we forgotten? When we turn on the news, have we forgotten? When we're in conversations, have we forgotten? When we look at social media, have we forgotten? 
A few years ago, I remember teaching a seminar at a one-day gathering for church planters. And I reminded them that as church planters, they need to keep their eyes open for what I call falling rocks. And I told them, the more you're amazed by God, the more people around you will be amazed by God. Matthew 17, 20 says, he replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Guys, God, Jehovah, I am who I am, is a mountain mover. And whenever mountains get moved, there, there, there is bound to be some falling rocks. In our relationship with God, falling rocks represent the evidence of God's faithfulness in our lives. And so I challenged these church planners. I said, hey, at the table you're at, just take out a piece of paper and, and just begin to write down the things that might represent falling rocks in your life. And I wonder, if I were to ask you to do that now, what would you write down? What would you say, hey, man, God has been powerful in my life. God has worked in my life. He's worked through generations, whatever it is, and he moved this mountain, and I can see the evidence of, of his faithfulness in my life. What would be those things that you would jot down? He's Jehovah. When the day was over, we gathered for dinner that evening. And it was at that dinner that my definition of falling rocks was challenged and greatly increased. I sat and listened to Tom Clegg, a guy who was telling us stories. This was a guy who used to be a missionary in Africa and who fought God when God was calling him back to America. He's now an author and leading expert in the area of church planning in America and I sat there and listened and I was blown away by, by this God who says to all of us, I am Jehovah, I am, am who I am. And he told this story of a recent trip that he took with three other pastors to China. They were there on a, on a fishing expedition and, and they were all, uh, they had their fishing license and they were ready to go and they hired a guide and they hired a cook to go with them so when they caught the fish, the cook could cook their fish and, and they would just have this wonderful trip. In the evening when it was dark, they headed out on their fishing trip and, and at least that was the impression that they were giving to the people all around them. And what was really happening was something quite remarkable. The three pastors had purposely hired a fishing guide and a lady cook who were fellow secret believers and who were actively involved in the underground church. And the guide's job wasn't to take them to a good fishing spot at all. His job was to get them to this village who was waiting for them in the middle of the night. And the cook, oh, she was way more than a cook. One of the names she went by in Chinese meant Hebrews. And, and you wanna know why? Because she had the entire book of Hebrews memorized since the word of God was illegal. And so they arrived at this village late in the night and spent the entire night with these believers discipling them. The lady cook spent the entire night quoting word for word the book of Hebrews. And the fishing guide uh, added commentary for understanding purposes. And the people sat there the entire night eager, so desperate to hear every word that came from their mouths. 
Not only did they listen, but they wrote down every word that was being spoken. And the next morning before heading out, the lady cook, Miss, Miss Hebrews, used a crank cassette player to record the entire book of Hebrews for them on a cassette so they could have it, so they could just go over it and over it and memorize it for themselves. And as we sit here, people all over the world are hearing and learning and experiencing Jehovah's power right out in the open. In India and many other countries, people are traveling hundreds of miles on foot and standing in line to hear about, about Jesus, the one who saves and the one who gives life. The impossible is being made possible. Places around the world where movements are being led, in some cases by, by teenagers, places where people witness the power of God daily. They see God do miracles all the time right in front of them. You know, like, like in the Bible times, thousands of people are coming to Christ every day around the world. God is putting on full display all over the world the answer to Moses' question, who shall I say sent me? Sometimes we ask, or we hear others ask, why don't we see that kind of movement of God in America? Why don't we witness miracles and see the power of God on full display like in Africa or India or China? Does God love them more? Does God care about them more than us? Has he given up on us? And the question often gets asked whenever you hear stories like that. Why they're not here? Why don't we see that kind of power here? In places where people are hurting and they need God to rescue them. Places where people have needs and they need God to meet them. Places where people are desperate and destitute and lost and hopeless and empty. In places like those that I've described when God introduces himself as, I am the great I am. He has their full attention. And then the missionary said to those of us at the table, he said, give me water that will make me sick if I drink it. Give me threats on my life. Give me food that I, that I can't stand to eat. Give me a dirt floor to sleep on in conditions that I wouldn't raise a dog in. Surround me with animals that will eat me alive and critters that will kill me with one bite or a sting. He then said, I will take all of those things over apathy and complacency. But friends, God isn't done. And he wants you to know him as Jehovah, the great I am. Just because you don't live in a third world country doesn't mean you don't need to know Jehovah, the great I am. We are not and can never be self-sufficient. In fact, the greatest self-deceit is to tell ourselves that we can be self-sufficient. You and I have every reason to trust God. And can I remind you, you can trust Jehovah because he's in control of all things. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. You can trust God because he's all-knowing. You can trust God because he's all-powerful. So, what area of your life do you need to be reminded that God is the great I am? Is it the basic needs of life? 
food, clothes, housing. God says, I am who I am. Is it the anxiety of the unknown? I am Jehovah. Is it unforeseen circumstances? Is it your finances? Even after you feel like you've been prudent and wise, he says, I am. The uncertainty of your future, I got this. A decision you need to make, God says, I got this. I am who I am. Is it your children, struggles that they're having at school? God says, I am who I am. Is it a trial that you're in the middle of? I got this. Is it your marriage that's blowing up? I am who I am. Is it work, work relationships? What is your Egypt? One thing that I want to leave you with is to trust God this week when he says, I will be with you. I am who I am. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for this great reminder. The first name that we look at is Jehovah, Yahweh. I am who I am. God, we get so wrapped up in our own little world and the walls in a sense feel like sometimes that they close in and all we can think about is self and, and all the things that we're experiencing and what we're going through and, and, and we lose completely sight of the truth of your word and that is that you are Jehovah. And you will meet us in those places. You will never leave us. You are there. You're already there. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.